Let's start our podcast with Scott Lynn is here, everybody, and he's in Florida, which he does not like to stay in very much longer, if possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be good. That's good. Uh, yeah. Hey, good to see you. Hey, it's good to see you, my friend. The last time I saw you, you were actually in my house in our spare bedroom, you and your lovely bride, and yeah. it's always good to see you. Well, you know, we've, we talk pretty regularly a few times a year on the phone, but that we were in Florida and got to come see you in Tampa. So that was so nice to, uh, uh, to retouch bases. You guys are doing yeah, absolutely doing good in, in Florida in retirement. Yes. Yes. You know, it's, it's funny. I, you know, we came here, I had worked in Tampa, St. Pete in the Tampa Bay area right before I came to Portland in 1980. And we were here for two and a half, three years. And we just loved it. Both Sharon and I really enjoyed our time here. So we always kind of envisioned whenever, whenever I lose my job, which <laughs> you know we, we knew was going to come someday, uh, or retire officially, that we would maybe move back here because we really enjoyed it so much. It has not lived up to our expectations. The whole area, the whole state is just bonkers frankly you you see all the stories with florida man well we there's a lot of florida man here. you're living it <laughs> i live it i live it every day um it's it's kind of crazy so um but, but the bottom line is it, it has worked out well for us and we uh, we live about oh five minutes drive or you know a 10 minute bike ride to the gulf of mexico where we can go and watch the sunsets and you know it's that has been very nice and very relaxing and helped us enjoy the, uh, the time that we had to sequester from everybody else uh, during the pandemic. So we, we could still go to the beach and walk because it was open air and yeah. very many people here, at least when it's not spring break. Uh, so, you know, everybody's, I'm learning, talking to all of our friends and colleagues, everybody's travels are just, you know, you get sent here because this job opens up and, and yeah. everything kind of works out in a way that you, you know, you end up looking back at your career going, wow, uh, you were a Southern Illinois guy, right? Yeah. And yeah. and did you always know you wanted to go into sports broadcasting? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, I grew up listening to the radio. To, I was a Cardinal fan in Central Illinois. I lived in, lived in Lincoln, which is very near Springfield in Central Illinois. Grew up on a farm there and didn't have any neighbors because we were literally on a farm seven miles from the nearest little town. And uh, I would play wiffle ball by myself, throw the ball up and hit it. And because I listened to the Cardinal broadcast, I would do my imitation of Jack Buck and Harry Carey calling <laughs> my imaginary games. And my, my, my older sister, Rita, tells me that one time she was in the house and my mom was watching me talk to myself playing wiffle ball broadcasting my own games out in the front yard and she just shook her head and said i don't have any idea what that kid's going to be able to do <laughs> <laughs> but I, I knew then i mean that's all i ever wanted to do yeah. and it um I, I went to SIU Carbondale on a basketball scholarship, Division One. Found out at that point that I was a really, really good high school player. Uh huh. <laughs> Didn't we all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I, uh, I ended up transferring to, to Division Two, uh, SIU Edwardsville, which was right across the river from St. Louis. Uh, again, it had a really nice. Kind of like Washington State has a great broadcasting department, so did Southern Illinois, Carbondale, and Edwardsville did as well. So I was able to pursue my education in broadcasting, majored in uh, 
mass communications tvr tv and radio which is not a, i'm sure it's not a major anymore um but certainly uh, not the radio part <laughs> no, but it was great because when i transferred uh, i transferred in january of 1974 and the first week after i moved into my new new it was an apartment living it wasn't a, uh, a dorm i was apartments and there were four women four girls apartments and four boys apartments in the in this apartment building well the first week we got snowed in and they canceled all the snow classes you know gone so we we just stayed in our apartment we had an apartment building party and so we got to meet the girls and the girls got to meet the guys and it was just nice I met my future wife the very first week right there that's where I met Sharon and she said I I told a lot of jokes and made her laugh and that's why she liked me right from the start so uh we dated throughout college and got married shortly thereafter and she's hung in there all those years <laughs> we're, still married, we're still married got married in 1977 and we're still still going strong boy. uh i always remember you talked about uh, you interned with uh, jay randolph which is a you know a a broadcasting legend from a different generation but in st louis he was big time and you got to work with him yeah, and that was really, he's been my mentor through the years. Um, I, I styled myself after him as far as my TV, uh, how I put a show together and uh, read the highlights. And, you know, I wasn't an entertainer, showman, you know, I wasn't Ed Whalen with the, you know, a little Simon, you know, and all, all those things. That Thank Ed, goodness. <laughs> yeah, I know you wouldn't have worked with me probably at that point. But it was, um, he, he was very, I mean, he was the guy who did the NBC uh golf he did and he was very strong he did all the lpga tournaments and he always came to portland during the lpga week so i always got to see him we would go to ringside and have you know onion rings and steak um but he he was a terrific mentor and just being able to work with him he, he did he was a cardinal tv play-by-play -play guy as well right so i i really got a chance to see up close how all of that stuff worked and you know you talk about how you get somewhere my how i ended up in portland was just it's just amazing you talk about thinking about how things could have been different mm -hmm. first of all if i didn't if i wasn't a sucky basketball player in college i wouldn't have gone to edwardsville where i met my wife and got connected with jay and got a chance to to do all that so he it was while i was interning that he sat me in front of the studio cameras and recorded me doing a sports cast that I was able to take around to different news directors and drop a, a tape on their desk and say, this is me, mm -hmm. uh, very raw, I was awful, you know, but it was, it was nice to have an audition tape to hand them. Anyway, I got my first job that way in Decatur, Illinois, a little town near Springfield, Lincoln. Decatur's a very small market and they, I think they hired me because it, my whole family lived in that area and I was from a very big family, family very large number of people. And they just felt their ratings were going to go up if all my family watched. I think yeah. so. They're going to increase their uh, their audience by at least a dozen, right? That's right. Oh, more than that. Um, anyway, we, well, you uh, know, you mentioned that uh, the doing the tape uh, with uh, Jay Randolph is that was the joy of every internship. Uh, the same oh, thing yeah. happened to me at Port, you know, in Portland at the end of my internship. The crew, you know, the camera guys, yeah. the they would all get together and they would do that for you. They would they exactly. would there would be a director and a tape roller. Yes. And after a newscast, they they'd stay late and they'd let you do that and they'd say, hey, you know what? Let's do another one. And, yeah. and you might want to do that again. <laughs> yeah. 
but that was always the cool thing about you know the crew would do that for all the interns and for yeah. you know same deal it, it it helps you get your first job it's you know and you do it yeah. on a on the on the set of uh, you know St. Louis's NBC affiliate it looks pretty doggone good <laughs> yeah no it was it was it helped me get my first job without a doubt because I had no 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 audition tape whatsoever I had very little experience when I went to Edwardsville I'd hoped to do play by play on the campus radio station but there was and they did do broadcast the baseball games and things like that and I wanted to do that but there was another kid who was the um, he was the coach, the baseball coach's son, I think, ended up getting all the radio play by play. I and wonder so how. <laughs> I, so I, luckily, I got a uh, an audition tape through the through my internship. But I got my first job indicator was there about a year and a half. And then, um, strangely, uh, I had to get another job because the we had an ice storm in March of 1978 the ice got on the tower right above the station and brought the tower into our control room and eliminated just obliterated the station basically and they said we are i mean we're off the air there's nowhere to do a broadcast and i had no job basically I, we're all all the talents and, and well everybody everybody the crew everybody's like are we gonna have a job yeah, unless you can repair the tower you're out of work and they said well we can the only thing we can have you do is wash cars until until it comes time to go out and cover sports again it's the news anyway i i had been preparing to go down to the tampa st pete area to cover uh the cardinals who are in the spring training down there and i had been calling the Dick Crippen, who was the sports director of the ABC affiliate down here, and just to ask him, hey, where's the closest hotel to where the Cardinals train? Uh, do I need to get a car? Do you, just all these different questions. And I called him three or four times in preparation for my trip. Well, I finally had to call him and say, well, Dick, I'm not going to be able to come down there. And we were, we'd kind of set up a meeting. We were going to get go out for dinner because we had gotten along so well on the phone. And I said, Dick, I'm not coming down because the ice storm has brought the tower down into our control room we have no studio we have nothing we're off the air and he said to me and this is the lesson i think i tell everybody right place right time people who you know mm -hmm. circumstances fate fortunes whatever he said look we've gotten along really really well on the phone i have no idea what you look like or what kind of a job you do but i think getting along with someone is 99 percent of the job i have my weekend opening uh, my weekend guy is leaving right now and we have an opening for a sports guy would you like to come to st pete i look out there's ice this thick on the trees and the bushes and it's like 79 degrees in in tampa that day and i said yeah i i think i might i think i might be interested he goes well send me a tape and i did he looked at it and said yeah you're fine. you're good enough <laughs> yeah I, I, I wasn't good he didn't say it that way but i know what he meant uh -huh. we got along great i was here for two and a half years and I started to think, again, I'm, I'm trying to get into being a sports, the main guy, the Monday through Friday guy, where you're kind of the boss and you can uh, adjust your schedule and take vacation when you want, those kinds of things. I thought, I'm never going to be able to leave because Dick Crippen is the legend in Tampa Bay. He, he was a young guy then, probably mid-30s, I'm guessing. But he was the voice, radio voice of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and he did. He didn't go anywhere. He was not going anywhere, and I thought, I'm going to be the weekend guy here forever, at best. So I'm going to leave. So I started looking. I know, I know Jim Little talked about how he looked at Broadcast Magazine. Yeah. Looked in, looked in the, there were ads in there for jobs. Well, I didn't look just in the ads. 
I looked in Fates and Fortunes, which was a little section in the magazine, who's leaving and who's going different places, who's leaving stations. And I saw that Steve Grad was leaving KGW TV and he was going to Kansas City, I think. And hey, there's an opening for a sports director in at KGW TV in Portland. So I called and got a hold of the news director, Larry Badger. And I said, hey, I'm really interested. Uh, you, can I send you a tape? And he said, well, we have a guy that we think we're going to hire from our sister station in Spokane, Alkek. Yeah. And we, um, but, but the guy who didn't get the job, who was the weekend guys, is, is, has taken a job in Seattle. That was Lou Gellis. Uh -huh. So Lou was disappointed. He's going to go to Seattle and uh, work in the bigger market and, and hope for a better opportunity up there. Anyway, I... I said, I'd really like to come for an interview, if at all possible. It's, I mean, I'm living in literally 3,000 miles away from, from Tampa all the way to Portland. I'd like to come see the place. So they, they did, to their credit, they flew me out. Nice. And while I was there, it was Al's first week on the job. By the time I got there, Al had been hired. He was in place. And, and you'll appreciate this, Carl. You know Al very well. Good friends. Al says to me, hey, Scotty. I know you probably want to be a sports director. That's okay. Take the weekend job. I hate Portland. I'm going to get out of here as soon as I can. <laughs> that is so Al Keck. It is. I, I love Al. And he'll kill me for saying that story. No, he won't. <laughs> but the bottom line was, it did take him three years to get out. Um, but he, he did leave. He went to San Diego. And I got the job. Now, was it immediate? No. I had to kind of show that I could do the job. And of course, their station's saving money while they're just having me do the do the weekday job. Uh, if you remember, it was you and me then. Yeah, exactly. That was, just, that was just, it for for several, I mean, you know, four, or five, four or five months, right? Yeah. And I only got the job because I forced the issue because I, I don't remember if you even knew this, but I interviewed for a job in Sacramento. They flew me down to Channel 10 in Sacramento and they offered me a, the, the sports director job there. So I came back and told the, told the boss. So let's, let's stop there. This is great. Al Keck has left. You've told them you've got another job. They're looking at me, 22 years old, and thinking, exactly. that's all we got left. We're hiring that guy. You're welcome, Scott. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. I appreciate it. I'm glad you were the only guy behind me at that point, just because of your age. Not that you couldn't have done it. Um, but I, I said, look, they've offered me a job. I'm going to be a sports director either there or here. So, you know, make it, make a decision. I, I've got them on hold, but I'm, I'm going to be a sports director. So that's awesome. I love that. Uh -huh. So uh, let's take a little time. Yeah. Let's take a little time to talk about how we got together. Yes. Um, uh, I was at Washington state, uh, had grown up, you know, in Vancouver. So I was watching, watching you guys. Well, actually I wasn't in Vancouver. Then I was at college. Yeah. Uh, you had an intern that was a year ahead of me in school named Matt Biondi. Right. And he came and worked for you in the summer. And he was very good because people from he Washington was. State are trained how to do stuff. Right. Uh, and then he told, I talked to him about his internship. And I, you know, basically, I think he put in a word for me and said, called you guys, hey, well, I got another guy if you don't want another intern next year. Yeah, exactly. And Al told me, uh, I think it, Al, I don't even know if Al told me, but he might have told Matt that we probably don't have an internship because we hired a third sports person. Right. Which was Michelle Fletcher. Michelle Fletcher. Okay. And, and she had no TV experience whatsoever, but the bosses at that time wanted to have a female sports person because that was kind of a novel idea. 
Yeah, and and and, and there's I, I, that was a great idea, and Michelle was fully capable of, uh, yeah. you know, of learning how to do the job, and she did. Um, right. But and then she remains a good friend of mine, as a matter of fact, and uh, we've stayed in touch through the years. And, but but she admits I wasn't really, right. you know. I, I probably I had to learn on the job and it wasn't always pretty, but but she she did a good job. So after several months, uh, Al Con basically called Matt behind and said, who's that kid that wants to be an intern? Because we need him because basically <laughs> yeah. he realized that that because Michelle was learning, they could use another body. Right. Um, Al Oregon State made the NCAA tournament that was hosted in Pullman. Yeah. Al comes up. I do an interview with him and a couple weeks later offers me the internship. Right. Um, which, which, uh, is, you know, is, is, I had an internship at the Spokane Chronicle as a newspaper, uh, reporter and turned yeah. that down to come work with you guys. And so then I came home, lived with mom and dad and worked with you the summer of 1982. Um, and just had a blast because you and Al, uh, just taught me everything about how we did stuff. And I got to do stuff. You guys yeah. sent me out on stories right. and I edited for you. And we did the high school football special together with, uh, you know, the staff. It was awesome. It was awesome. Without uh, a doubt. I, and that was the thing that, you know, it was a union shop, but somehow sports ended up being kind of its own niche. I, I think some of the editors may have resented it, that we edited our own things, but it gave us such an opportunity to, to make the story look exactly like we wanted it. We didn't have to convey that image. You know, hey, can you put that shot with that? What with that audio? Yeah, it, you just didn't have. You could communicate. You just it was it was creating your own story right. every time. So. And most of the time, we were editing uh, highlights. You right. know, and we knew how long we wanted the shot of the home run to go and the cutaway and things like that. And and I know a few editors might have resented it, but in the in the end, it was just something off their plate that, that right. you know they didn't want to make make a mistake because they didn't understand sports. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so the intern got to do a heck of a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I just worked, I worked six or seven days a week. Uh, didn't get paid, got credit. And, yeah. and, and we all got along really well. And then my internship ended. I went back to school and about halfway through that term, you and Al got on the phone and called me. I, yeah. and I, I remember that. I remember where I was living in the fraternity and the phone. And you said, Michelle is leaving. Right. Her husband got a job in Seattle. Exactly. Yeah. She didn't get forced out. She, you know, yeah. she did. She, she basically was moving up with her husband to Seattle, and and you guys, you get, you guys didn't offer me the job, but you said we really want you. Right. Which was, I mean, it was a great compliment, and I and the trust that you guys had in me, you know, just just moved me. Yeah. Um, well, you, you had proven you could do the job, Carl. I mean. Without a doubt. I mean, you jumped right in and you said you work seven days a week, long days for no pay. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I'm curious about is the news director had changed. It was then Paul Sands, who wasn't there during my internship. And I guess I, I've never really asked you this, but what did you and Al Keck say to this new news director to say, we want this kid out of college because he had other people he could have hired? Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, but but we I think we just flat out said he'd been here when he interned with us he did the job I mean he he was doing the job that that we wanted done and that you would want done as the news director uh, he has all the skills 
He learned it at Washington State, great broadcasting school. You're gonna, you're, you'll be happy with Carl. He and he, we didn't even know then how good your reporting would be. I mean, you're, you're always such a great reporter, able to tell stories. I've enjoyed talking to all the different people who influenced your reporting style and news, for instance. I, but even before that, you did that in sports. You took a different angle to things than maybe, again, I, I followed Jay Randolph. I was meat and potatoes. It, for those watching in Portland now, I was Joe Becker before Joe Becker, you know, <laughs> worked with Jay Randolph in St. Louis as well. So we are both products of the, you know, from the Jay Randolph tree of broadcasting. Um, but we were kind of meat and potatoes. We would, we would give you the highlights. Um, you, you came at it from a slightly different angle of, yeah, okay, well, sports is important to all of us and the fans. But I'm going to show it with this with this angle, this tact. I'm going to I'm going to write it this way or show that you know you, you did it a little different, but you were still you, you you emerged from that. But you had shown all the skills right from the get go. Well, I, I mean, I, I got to thank you like crazy because uh, you know uh, that was a bold move for a news director to hire. I also was cheap because on that yeah. on the union contract there was a reporter trainee position, which means you didn't have two years experience. And so I was right. make I was making about almost half what a regular reporter would have would right. have uh, made for the first year. Uh, but you know, you yeah. if if you and Al don't do that, uh, I probably end up teaching in Tri Cities because I was going to go do my <laughs> student teaching, and I would have been a very frustrated uh, you know high school English teacher. <laughs> I know, I, but but again, it, it's it's who you know, right place, right time, paying your dues. I mean, I did all that same stuff at, at Channel Five in St. Louis. I did everything Jay asked. I would cover the games. I would uh, go to Cardinal games and and you know log the highlights and time codes, which you know are are little codes, so you you don't have to fast forward through a tape. You can go right to the number, and you're right there where the home run is hit. So I would mark all these. It wasn't tough duty, but it was something that had to be done. And Jay could go home and have dinner with his family excuse me and i could watch the cardinal game come back and say hey you know gibson threw the shutout uh, the big play was here you know yeah. i would i would help select his highlights yeah but so you know you kind of got a sense and this is what i loved about tv and, and i always this is something that i still you know feel i still remember so fondly was again you created what you want i had a four minute segment say at 11 o'clock okay four minutes that's my set that's whatever I want in there is what it's going to be. Yeah. And I was so different. I was fine. I was sort of more content oriented than performance. As I talked about earlier, I would rather have shown you an extra highlight of Dale Murphy hitting a home run than seeing my face and, and with a brave slide behind me saying, Hey, Dale Murphy hit a home run tonight. And then, you know, let's take a look at that. I wasted 10 seconds. I, I would wipe from one piece of video to the next to the next. My ideal perfect sports cast was if you never saw my face after Tracy or Pete or whoever introduced me. The beginning and, and the end. <laughs> now, the news directors kind of hated that because, you know, you're, you're, it's nice that you're getting all that information out. And I always thought content and information was king. But, you know, I can see now that I probably didn't help myself, long, you know, from a standpoint of, uh, becoming a personality yeah 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 and, uh, but, but it was what i was that's what i that's who i was on and, the air and, and 
people, these are the good old days we're talking about. Uh, sports oh, yeah. was different back then because Sports oh, Center, yeah. Sports Center wasn't on. Uh, they no. weren't putting on a show. I mean, it was on, but they weren't putting on the show they're putting on now. Yeah. And you know, there was no internet. You couldn't look up scores on your phone. If you wanted to, if you lived in Portland and you wanted to know how the Cardinals did, you had to wait till eleven o'clock at night at eleven right. twenty when somebody right. introduced the sports guy and he showed you the highlights or gave you the scores. That was yeah. it. Right, and we did the scores. You, yeah. you know, you, we, we, that was another 20 seconds of trying to get through all the Major League Baseball scores. Yep, the Dodgers beat the Braves, the Cardinals beat the Cubs, yeah. the Brewers, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was the Cardinals over the Cubs. and the, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, and, and I heard Regan Ramsey, and I God, it was great to see Regan and hear his perspective on everything. Uh, Regan, I owe him a lot, which I'll explain in a second. But Regan talked about how sports was not a high priority, you know, that, that nobody was tuning in to watch the newscast, sports just wasn't important. And therefore he, he, you know, he was happy that you'd gone into news because of that. However, there's a different way of looking at those numbers that I always tried to bring to the argument. And I did argue about it often um, because we were constantly told sports doesn't matter by mm -hmm. our bosses, whether it was Paul Sands or Regan Ramsey or Larry Badger or whoever, sports doesn't matter. And, and that's, hard, that's hard to hear when you're, that's your job. That's your job. Because uh, I was working long days. I would get up and be in the station by 10 or 11 every morning, and it's still, I'd go home at one o'clock at night. But there, there's a different thing. The, the, those surveys that Regan talked about said, what is the number one reason that you're tuning in for news? And it often said either the news or weather. You know, what's, what's the weather going to be tomorrow? Okay, I get that. Nobody's saying, I've got to tune in and see how the Blazers did, because you probably listened on the radio or whatever. But if you want to see the highlights, maybe, you know, because again, back then, every game was not televised. Yeah. So, you know, we, we had that was your chance to see the Blazers. So but some people said that they would tune in for the Blazers and then and that would show that. But those numbers would also say other I'm interested in another team or another school or whatever. And you got up to 60 percent. 55, 60% were tuning in to see something on sports. And I always felt like if you don't pay attention to the sports and give us the time that we need or the, you know, we're always battling for an extra 30 seconds or whatever. But if you say that we don't matter, you're wrong. Because if we lose that 60%, you're not number one. Okay. You know, you're not well, the number one. You know, when, when the Blazers, uh, you know, did what they did and made their run and became the most important news story in the uh, yes. in the market uh, or Oregon football or whatever's going on. Right. If, right. if you've dumped your sports department and nobody trusts right. you covering sports when that's important, no, nobody's going to want to watch. So, I, I mean, right. we knew the value. And, right. you know, we weren't we weren't getting paid a lot of money. We weren't, you know, the top of the promo scale. But 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 we we served a purpose. And, yeah. and then, like you said, you filled four minutes every night. And if you didn't do that, they're going to have to pay somebody else to do it and right. fill it with crap. Yeah. And, and I that was always a battle trying to fight. I always asked Jim Little for an extra 15 seconds or 30 seconds. I said, Jim, nobody cares about the, you know, this or that or whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> they want to know, is it going to rain tomorrow? That's all they need. You need 30 seconds to do that. You don't need three and a half or four minutes. And we would argue because weather was just as important to him as, yeah, as sports was. was to me. So you, you mentioned money, not getting paid much. That was one of my big problems. I'm sitting as the sports guy that doesn't matter, according to the numbers, um, 
it's, it, it's, it was very interesting. You, you'd kind of learn sometimes what the other people were making. You didn't know exactly, but you had a pretty good idea. And so when Bill Lagatuda was there, I was always bitching to him about not making enough money. I, I'm not making, I'm not making a third of what you guys are making. And I'm not, you know, and, and I, he heard that so often. Finally, one day he says, well, God, I'm so sick of hearing you talk about, you know, not having any money, not making enough. How much money, how much more money would you like to make? And I'm like, I don't know, 25,000. He wrote me a check, Carl, for $25,000. <laughs> now, I never cashed it. Thank God. I know. Uh, it probably would have bounced because it, he would have said, I, you know, avoid the check. Uh -huh. I, all these days as a reminder that Bill Agatuda was, was he, as we heard in Bill, we had so much fun. Yeah. So, so many fun times. But yeah. yeah I, I would tell anybody listening right now, if you, if you want to go back and see the Bill Lagatuda podcast, you will, you will laugh your butt off. Yeah, I laughed. I laughed. What was it? 38 minutes, I think. I laughed almost the whole time through. <laughs> I lived it. I was yeah. part of it. But yeah, it was, it was, it's hilarious. And I've since talked to Bill on the phone and it's just, it was just wonderful. Wonderful yeah. to connect with him. So, uh, you know, you guys helping me get hired started, uh, yeah, basically a six year relationship, you and I together in the sports department, you know, uh, other people came and went, Dave Sullivan was there for a bit before he went to good evening. And, uh, yeah. John Hammerly did sports for a while. Right. Uh, I don't think John was ever very comfortable with that. And they moved him out pretty quick. And then came Joe Becker who has never right. left. <laughs> Right. The, the, he's still going and then decided wait a minute i think i still need to work a little bit here uh I, some of my thoughts about that time uh, are kind of strange uh we were working nights and covering sports we did not eat well uh, <laughs> i love the look on your face i know where this is going i know where this is going uh, okay i admit it the, there's a there i think there still is probably a mcdonald's on burnside yeah here's my impression hi this is scott lynn i'll be over in a second get me my regular <laughs> yeah it's, it's, hey this is scott lynn i'll be there give me give me give me the special <laughs> i would get two double cheeseburgers plain a large fry and a diet coke save the calories where yeah, exactly that coke does you a lot of good after that uh, night, after night after night and the thing was carl we didn't have time because the blazer games would start at seven i think at that time yeah. and we got off the air we did a let's say we got off the air at six, six right? something yeah so it was six so i only had a, a, an hour before the blazer game started and i had to be back we had a microwave set up where again we didn't have to go shoot um, I, I, the photographer was there, but we had a microwave signal that came back to the station so I could sit at my desk, watch the monitor and highlight, uh, keep track of the game and keep the score. Yeah, and, we didn't have time for a big dinner. Yeah, you couldn't, uh, go, yeah, you couldn't go home. I never went home. Yeah. Could never go home. Uh, raised our two kids. I mean, and that, that's one of the things about this industry, man. Yeah. She, I would, she was a single parent almost, you know? Uh, I also remember on a if we if we felt really special we'd get a bell tower pizza. Oh yeah, those were good. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you mentioned the Blazers is uh, yeah. as a reporter I would go to more of those games uh, and right. you know do a report is you know again I'm making not even a reporter's salary at that point uh, and they would right. feed us with the banquet. Uh, yeah. I, I basically did my budgeting and my meal planning by the fact, hey, there are two home games this week. I can go get a sandwich and a salad for yeah, dinner tonight. Was, 
those were the good old days when you didn't have to pay to be fed before a game. But going back to Jay Randolph, what that was the biggest thing about my internship. I'm a college kid, and they had at Bush Stadium, Bush Stadium Two, the the one that was in, in the, at that time, um, they would have a full fledged banquet, and you could order. Uh, roast beef, uh, ham, they slice it off for you. You could eat hot dogs through the whole game. I literally would not eat all day. And I would, <laughs> I would eat like four meals at one sitting during the three-hour baseball game. So, yeah, that's that's the life of an intern. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about uh, the, those six years that we were doing sports together uh, before you left and I went to news. Uh, unfortunately, uh we weren't real good back then. I'm talking about sports in our market. Uh, the Blazers, right. the Blazers finally made the NBA uh, finals right yeah. after we left. You and I both left the, the department. Uh, the station, yeah. Oregon and Oregon State football were not good. Uh, no. Oregon made a bowl game uh, like 1989, which is when I went into news. I actually Oregon, got right. Yeah. Uh, went to uh, 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 the Shreveport. Shreveport, yes. Yeah. And they bought their way in just so that they could be in a bowl game. And they thought that that would start things rolling. And, and it, it did. Sure, it and, sure and, did. and you bring that up. Uh, a, a year or so before that, we did a series of stories you let me do about what would have to happen for uh, the Oregon football schools to catch up with USC and Washington. Right. And uh, I flew down to LA and met with Craig Fertig at the USC and he showed me their weight room and their practice facility. Oh, yeah. And basically it was a two or three part series that we did. And it basically revolved around this little graphic that said, you got to have players, but to have the players, you got to have the facilities, but to have the facilities, you got to have the money. If you don't have the money, you don't have the players. And right. Uh, you know, I know there was a lot of controversy when the Ducks bought a whole bunch of tickets to get into that bowl game, but that got exposure, that got other yeah. people interested, like Phil Knight. They improved their facilities, they got the kids, and for 20 years now, they've been a force in college football. So right. um, I, really, I was really proud of that story. I mean, we didn't yeah, solve the problem, but we showed what the problem was. Carl, we did we did great work. I mean, I really I I, I don't like to brag, but I I will. You know, you talked about the high school. Uh, football specials. I love going to Pendleton, Don Requa, or Fred Spiegelberg in Medford, and, yeah. and and just going around and touching base with them. We would spend, uh, you know, a week going to all these schools, and um, they watched in all those areas when you put their special together, and those were good specials. And that was ahead of its time, Scott. That was ahead of its time because you think about nowadays, every station in Portland has the Friday night flights and the football right. kickoff and stuff like that. Uh, and we were doing it uh, without all the promotion and all, all the budget. Right. Uh, it eventually became uh, a selling point for a sports department that, yeah. you know, they could make some money off of it. Right. No, we did. I remember when we were, you, Joe, and I were the department, we would have, Joe would go and do a, like a one minute package on the, maybe the premier game of the night uh, locally, local game. You would go to the premier game, maybe in the, in the Valley and put a package together and, uh, or, or two games. Maybe you do a first half here and a second half here and you'd combine them into a, a Valley report or something. And then I would have a camera go spray game three or four games locally, going to civic stadium and getting a shot of, of you know, the, the, the crazy things there, you'd love to do a um, great highlights of that last second touchdown, but many times we weren't there then. And you'd always fit one of my lines I hated in the script is 
and Benson went on to win. <laughs> they went on to win on a last second field goal. It's like a but we don't have that, but they went on to win. You know, yeah. that's how we wrote around the video we did not have. Yeah. Um, so there was something I wrote down that I wanted to talk about, uh, and I, I, for, I wrote it down as first wrote down as scam, but I realized it's not a scam. It was more a windfall, and yes. that was, uh, you know, the network feed. Right. These stations would all get a network feed of all stories from around the country, and uh, the way it worked is if you were a reporter in Portland and you did a story and you got it on that feed, they would pay you almost like 300 bucks or something. It was 225. Okay. It was 225 for the story per yeah. story. And you would, you would split that with whoever worked on the story, a photographer. Right. So, right. you know, if let's say I was a news reporter and I did a story on a riot in Portland and the network wanted it, you would put it on the feed and then you'd send them a bill and they'd send you money. But right. in the sports department, we, uh, you especially, <laughs> found a way to uh, to to, uh, to uh, profit. Uh, oh, yeah. That, uh, and I always thought that I mean that was kind of making up for the fact that we weren't getting the big uh, news right. money. But yeah. uh, you used that system for uh, quite a while to um, several years. Yeah. Several years. And, and let me. I'll go a little bit further. Okay. So we we were all stations could feed their local story. So they were always calling saying, hey, the Blazers are playing tonight. We'd like to get the Blazer highlights on. So uh, it, it involved a lot. Back then, we didn't even have a, a, a way to get the highlights to them initially. So I would have to end my 11 o'clock show, work on that in between. Now, obviously, I'm recording the Blazers and cutting the highlights for myself, and I would just revoice, or, or basically, I on the air, I would read it live, but I would record my script and the pictures would match my script. And then I'd say, in Portland, Scott Lynn for NBC News and slap that on. But I had to drive it to the airport to get it to a plane to Chicago. The only way they could get it on the morning feed, which is when they wanted, they had to have it by the morning, was for me to make the 1215 flight out of Portland. I, I can remember so many drives to that airport where you would yeah. run up to the counter to get it to. I mean, we, we both did that. We, we would yeah. drive those things out there. Yeah. Uh, that was the only way to get it back before the satellite. Right. And so that's how it started. And we and they they found that we could deliver. If they asked for the Blazer game, they got the Blazer game. So eventually we bought, a, a, or NBC or the KGW bought a satellite uplink at our station. And we NBC, were one of them. NBC paid for that at, at all around the country. Right, so right. that eliminated was, the airplane. <laughs> right. It eliminated the airplane, uh, but it, it made competition, so to speak, because um, again, it was on all different time zones. So there was a feed earlier in the evening on the early things that happened. And there was, a, you know, like an eight o'clock feed. And then there was an 11 o'clock feed. And so the uh, bottom line was the West Coast got all of its highlights from me. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't have to be the, it didn't have to be the Trailblazer game because I know no. you would do that, but you'd also record the uh, Lakers against the Mavericks. <laughs> yeah. Because this on a satellite, the way it worked back then was you could point your dish at a satellite and get every transponder from that satellite. So we would find out what events were on these various satellites that we were going to be getting the Blazer game on or whatever, and we would record. And so we, we didn't do that. And, and again, I was recording for my own show as well, but I would slap on a for NBC News and, and it, would be, it would be done. And... 
we and, and again we shared with with uh, editors and you know whoever was helping us with the story so we uh, we did spread the wealth a little bit there but and, my, and that's what you say you were getting your job done absolutely for, you were getting your job done and this was just kind of on the side right uh, All I had to do was read my script one extra time and put an NBC tag on it. Yeah. Because then you, if you were that, there that night, you would edit the whole thing, put it together, and you'd go, and it would be sent up on the uplink, and you'd get half of what we, whatever we make. But we got into a situation where they started saying, we'll take everything you can send us. I was recording NHL games, which were not necessarily for my highlights. Yeah. Uh, but it was easy. I could just leave the sound on really low. And just, uh, if I hear, oh, goal! okay, time code. Okay. The blues just scored a goal at eight o'clock. Anyway, it, it, it ended up, there were times we would have th maybe three or four stories on a night. So that was a very profitable time. And each, each one of those paid. <laughs> 225 divided by half, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So, uh, uh, but, but again, it was, most of it was for my work, but that was eventually going away because Regan Ramsey at the time was like, wait a minute, you're using station equipment to do this and you're on company time. I said, but I'm not doing it other than just for my own highlight. <laughs> we kind of, we, that was one of the many, many, many discussions we had about things, but eventually it did go away. And yeah. it was just at the same time, that I left KGW. So right up until the end of when I was there, that was very profitable. And I would just take everything that I made and, and put it into my mortgage and help try to pay down my house bill. Well, but, the thing was, is it didn't really make sense as the technology evolved for yeah. NBC to be paying right. 200 bucks for 45 seconds of highlights from exactly. an NHL game. Uh, and, and they no figured it out. Nobody was running a full one-minute report or 45-second report of me voicing the highlights. I mean, really, in any market, they were probably showing the video with maybe some canned crowd noise underneath. But they were not having Scott Lynn for NBC News air on in their in their sportscast. But I, I mentioned Reg, I he saved he saved me. Well, we'll get to that now because after uh, after six years. Yeah. Uh, it, it got difficult for you, and and you you ended up leaving KGW. I've heard this story many times, but it's worth telling. It was an interesting couple of months. Yeah, it was it was not good. Um, I I knew that in this, the Regan Regan had intimated through the years that the, that the company was interested in having somebody a little more flamboyant, you know. Um, and they had someone in mind, as it turns out, but the bottom line was, it, it was awful. It was a very bad, difficult time. I always knew, I mean, I always worried about whether the next day was going to be my last day, but when Regan was let go. Yeah. They brought uh, in, they brought in a guy from Spokane. Yeah. But let, me, let me just hold on a second, because when he was let go, I think on a Monday, Tuesday, perhaps, I, I waited a few days. He, he, I didn't see him. I, I mean, he was gone. And I, and I just thought I should at least tell him I'm sorry. I, we had battled on some issues for sports, you know, uh, but, but I still respected him and thought he was, you know, doing a, he was doing what he was hoping to do. But I, I, I said, uh, I, call, I decided I better call him at home. So I called him and I said, Regan, I just want to let you know, I'm really sorry that you got let go. And he goes, well, hell, you're next. That was Regan style. <laughs> that was Regan style. Very blunt, blunt. <laughs> to the point. And my heart went, you know, uh, I was like, oh, 
uh, what am I supposed to do here? He goes, yeah, they've been trying to get me to get rid of you for a couple of years. So I knew at that moment I had to find something because again, the rumor was he was being replaced by the guy coming from Spokane and he was going to bring his sports guy because it was Eric Johnson, who was, again, a more flamboyant style and, and very good looking. He had hair, for one thing. <laughs> and, uh, but well, and, and Eric did a good job when he was here and he moved yes. on to Seattle. He's now a news anchor in Seattle. He's right. one of the best news people and storytellers yeah. in, in, in the Northwest. In the, in, and, and anyway, uh, so it wasn't Eric. Eric was just doing his job. But the management was going to bring him here to replace you. and We knew that. Right. So, but I knew at that moment I had to find something. I had just bought a house in Beaverton. I had, we had a new daughter, less probably a year, maybe not even a year old at that point. And I thought I'm going to be out of a job, and this is going to uproot my life completely. And and back then you just didn't know where your, you know, where's where's the next job going to come from, because everybody was competing for a sports job, you know. So I, I thought, you know, I had heard Kevin Young over at KEX Radio was, was looking to move into sales full time, and he was going to leave his sports line show. Talk KEX, show. A talk show, two-hour sports talk show. When there weren't all sports stations or anything like that, it was unique in the Portland market. It was on from 6 to 8 in the evening. Why well, I had called Regan after, the, after our early news, so it was probably about 6.30, and he rocked my world with what he told me and i thought i've got to see maybe i maybe i should call and see if kevin is still looking to get into sales or whatever and maybe they haven't hired anybody yet so i called the call-in number and rich patterson rich patterson answered i said rich who I, I knew rich i said rich do not put me on the air this is scott lynn but please have Kevin call me during the seven o'clock news break. He had a five minute break for news. I said, have him call me at seven. This was on a Friday. He says, uh, so he, Kevin called me, he goes, yeah, what's up? I said, are you still looking to leave Sportsline? He goes, oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get into sales full time. And um, I, I'm, I'm, uh, why? Are you interested? I said, <laughs> yeah, I think I am. And he said, well, they're actually flying a guy here on Monday to sign the contract. I think they've hired him. Wow. Let me call the boss because I think he'd much rather have you as a TV sports director in the market that people knew than somebody from out of market that was going to be brought in. Um, so he called, they called me. I met with them on Monday. They, they called that guy and said, Hey, don't come on Monday. We've got something's come up with corporate. We need to figure <laughs> out what, whatever the excuse was. I don't know, but I sure appreciate it. You screwed that guy's life, Scott. <laughs> he did. And, and I know him and we've talked about it and he's never let me forget it. And I feel bad about that, but it was, it, it, and in this business, it's, it's me or you, you know, kind of thing. So it was, I had to do what was best for my family. And uh, anyway, I wasn't even sure I could do a sports talk show. I, you know, it was totally different from what I was doing, putting audio onto video and yeah. creating a sports cast. You had no problem. But I, uh, they, they brought me over. They, I um, met with them. They, they were excited about having me. I was very honest that I was probably losing my job, which was a terrible negotiating. Too honest. <laughs> to be honest, because it cost me money, without a doubt. But 
what I learned by interviewing with them was that the Blazers who had left KEX and had gone to KGW were leaving KGW. This was not known at that time. They were leaving KGW and they're coming back to KEX and the sports line host would then be doing the fifth quarter. Yeah. And so this was 1989, May of 1989. So I met with J.R. Hellman and Marshall Glickman at, uh, at the, uh, and on McAdam Avenue. I don't remember the name of the restaurant, but it was the, it was a caboose that was down on the, do you remember that, that play? It was a restaurant. It was, literally was a train caboose somewhere. So it was a big step up from McDonald's. Yes, yes, it was. I was eating well, but we had a, we had a nice conversation, and uh, they they said, "Will you be doing the fifth quarter?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's great." So I accepted the job, and, and no you put one, this together in a matter of days. Yeah, it was days. Because the other thing was, I was still trying to find out for sure. They didn't hire the news director from Spokane immediately. It was what the day he was announced was the day I knew I was gone because the rumor mill had it going. And I had another former intern who was working in Spokane at that time, who was filling me in on what was being said in Spokane. And it was basically, well, th this news director had looked at my videotape and seen me and said, he's nothing special, Eric, I'll bring you with me. So there was no doubt in my mind that I had to leave at that point. And so I, I, I left, I went to KEX. No one at the C TV station could understand why I did that. I'm the sports director, I'm the boss at the TV station. Why are you leaving? And no one knew about the Blazers yet. And so everybody's like, why would he do that? And, and, and Daryl Lonnie was still at KEX. He was the sports director at the station. I was going to a number two radio job at KEX. No one, it didn't make sense. Hopefully now it will. I yeah. was my job. And, and the Blazers were coming and I was going to be part of the Blazers. So, so and that, of course, 1989-90, the first season I did the fifth quarter was their trip to the finals to play the Pistons. So timing being everything, you know, that was the best three-year run maybe in Trailblazer history. Yeah. They, they were the, they made it to the finals in 90. They had the NBA's best record in 91 and made the Western Conference finals. And they made it to the finals against the Bulls and Jordan in 92. That three-year run. Good timing for you. That's yes. when I left sports. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry, pal. That's all right. The fifth quarter at Tony Roma's with just just a blast. I mean, it was the and doing the sports talk show. In retrospect, it saved my life. I was a nervous wreck. My heart was always beating a mile a minute because you're under time pressure to get your show edited, written, get it done, get on the air, get the makeup on you. Know, everything had to be right. I still dream about that nightmares. I still have those nightmares. Um, but when I went to KEX and hosted the talk show, no time crunch, no pressure. I got to talk to all of my childhood heroes interviewing them on the phone because back then again there weren't all these stations demanding their time i would tim mccarver left me his phone home number and said call me anytime mm -hmm. so i would call mccarver on a slow night and I, it was just it was wonderful i got to talk to all of my boyhood heroes in the six years that i hosted Sportsline. so and, and if there wasn't a blazer game you were probably getting home at 7 30 at night and you could yeah. see your kids <laughs> yeah there, well and, and that was that's true Absolutely. But the, the, one of the main things I wanted to do from the time I was a little kid throwing up that wiffle ball in my front yard and doing play-by-play -play was I wanted to do play-by-play. -play. And one of my deals with KEX was 
Uh, Oregon State had talked to me. They wanted me to be their TV play-by-play guy whenever Jimmy Jones was re- was going to retire. And Jimmy had some health issues at that time, bad heart. There was real concern whether how long he could keep doing it. So they wanted to groom me. So I went to KEX Radio not only to do this t- talk show, but to finally be a play-by-play guy. And I got to I, the first year in 95, or one of the first years, well, it wasn't the first year, but I became the Oregon State play-by-play guy on, on Fox Sports Northwest or Prime Sports Northwest when it started and eventually worked my way up to where I was Fox Sports Northwest college basketball guy. Two years running, yeah. uh, I did Gonzaga, Washington games. I would fly out all the time. So I, I did live my dream there. That's what I... Do you remember, I know you do, uh, for one fall, and I, I know the year because my son was born, right? It was 1987, at KGW, we got the contract to do three Oregon State yeah. football games, and you got—that was your first play-by-play. Yeah, and I got to do—I got to do the sideline on a couple of those. Man, we really right. felt like we were big time. Yeah, we did, and 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 if you'll recall, we also did a, a, a minor league exhibition game. The Minnesota Twins came over, and you—we got to work that game. Frank Viola. Frank Viola. <laughs> award winner was my color guy sitting next to me and we we did that it was so fun but yeah and i also before i forget i want to thank todd mckim who was a kezi in eugene it was a cooperative deal where kezi and, K- and kgw split the costs and we shared the broadcasting and todd I think I think Eugene put more of the money in the eugene station than maybe kgw did but todd stepped aside from the play-by-play thing he, he could have easily said that and he was a, he was the ducks play-by-play guy i think or doing yeah. doing things he let me do play-by-play because i didn't i don't think i could have been a good analyst on football i just did i never played i didn't know the game very well he let me do play-by-play which is more you know third and seven ball to 21 you know yeah. you're just setting the scene and calling the action and the color guy he the, the analyst does all the explaining <laughs> so, so so thank you to todd mckim for helping me get my play-by-play start yeah and and then i mean then you did the radio for years it changed from that talk show to doing the morning news and and doing stuff and then you for Several years did Blazer play by play when they needed you to because of yeah. uh, Brian Wheeler's health. And yeah. I mean, you you turned yourself into a play by play guy and you were yeah. doing major college and major uh, NBA uh, uh, basketball. And, I, I, you know, I think that's a real uh, strong testament to uh, being uh, having longevity in this career and 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 learning how to do the things you wanted to do. I was so proud of you that you got to do that yeah. and you were really darn good at it. Well, thanks. I, I I will admit, though, I was not a great Blazer play-by-play guy. Um, radio is entirely different from TV. I I did not. I don't think I had the skill. I did what I could, and I think it was okay. Uh, it wasn't, but it, to me, it didn't live up to what I would like to have done. Uh, because you have to paint the picture on radio. When I'm doing a game on play-by-play uh, on TV. You know, Casey Calvary, maybe one of my first Gonzaga games when in Mark Few's first or second year at Gonzaga, he throws down a dunk. It's like, whoa, (laughs) you know, they see it. But if you just go, whoa, on the radio, nobody knows what the heck happened. So you have to paint the picture. And I, as try as I might after, after basically I had done play by play for 20 years, at least when I was getting to do those radio jobs for the Blazers. 
I had probably, and they didn't know this when they hired me, I probably only done three radio play-by-play events ever. And they were our high school football games on KEX. I'd never done radio. And so I got that opportunity because of the health issue that Brian Wheeler had. And I did the best I could. The first two, the first two back in 2013, I really, I can't even listen to those. Okay. So filled the bill. I, they, they, there was a road trip Brian couldn't take. And I, I did the jet, I did the game and it it was a crazy, crazy time. And, and it was, but, but I, I was a little better in, in 2017, 18, when they called and I got, I did, I ended up doing, I think 33 games that year. And, but, but that was tough, Carl, because they called me, I'm in retirement. I'm literally on the beach when I get a call from the Blazers. They saying, Brian has some health issues, probably can't work the first month of the season. Can you come out? Are you, are you available and willing? <laughs> Certainly available. But in the back of my mind, Carl, I'm like, that's radio. Not really I'm, willing. <laughs> I'm really not that good at that. And literally, it, this was the third, fourth year, I think, we had been gone from Portland, and I had not seen a Blazer game in two years. I didn't know anybody on the team in, in my mind, right? And I said that to him. I said, I just, my only hesitancy is that I really don't know the players, and I know in radio play-by-play, I really need to know at least one of the teams very well. <laughs> and and uh, they said, well, no, 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 it's, it's the same guys when you were here. Sure. It, it was Damian, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum and Myers Leonard. I think that it was three guys. Those are the only three guys I think I knew. So I had to learn the – and they called uh, four days before the start of the regular season. All of the preseason games had been played, so I couldn't even watch video of them on TV or on NBA TV. I literally went in blind that first game. And I flew to Phoenix. That's where the team opened that year. And I, I called games. I think I got better as time went on, but I was nothing special. I, I was a better TV play-by-play guy. Do you remember uh, at KGW, at least a couple of years, we got the PIR contract to, to do the, the, oh, yeah. the Portland IndyCar race on TV. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And that might have been your first one of your first play-by-plays, but we were joking. We were joking, you and I, about how little we knew about one. cars. And, and, and that it was, there goes a red one. <laughs> and, and Carl, it's true. I, I, I have become a huge IndyCar fan, and they race in St. Pete. They're back in Portland now. I know. I mean, I, I've gotten to know. I'm, we're not friends, but certainly Mario Andretti knows who I am. We, it, it, it's been a great thing. And I'm a huge IndyCar fan. I watch all the races. Uh, but then I didn't know anything. I knew no, nothing about the races. I was in the pits. And, man, I I didn't know anything about cars. Yeah. But we faked it. <laughs> we faked it. And here's the thing. We tape, we tape delayed. And I, I don't remember the year, but it was the year that – Mar- Mike- Mario won. Michael Andretti lo- lo- was out of fuel coming around the last turn at PIR. And his and dad Mario passed him. him in the front straight and beat Michael. And on my play-by-play, which thankfully was being recorded rather than live, I said, and it was Father's Day, I said, on this Father's Day, Michael pulls over and lets his dad win. <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's what I said which would never in a million years happen. And so we saved it in editing. Jeff Shrum, who was putting the special together that aired that night of that race, uh, he says, we might want to revoice that. <laughs> <laughs> Went into the booth and did a one thing, and Mario, 
as Michael runs out of fuel, Mario comes back and wins. So nobody at home ever knew. But initially I said, on this Father's Day, Michael pulls over and lets Mario win. Well, I remember I was down in the pit and I did the interview with Michael and Mario after the race. And I had no idea that you had said that. Yeah, and, and so I did. I didn't. I didn't address that question. I mean, the yeah. obvious question to Michael was, "Did you let your dad win?" Yeah. Which we know in the IndyCar world with the sponsors and all that stuff never happened. He ran out of fuel, yeah. but I didn't ask that question because I had no idea that's what you had said. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we had many specials we did like that. Remember the uh, um, Portland Marathon? We we did a we we did a race. We did a broadcast we, where we did that several years, Scott, because yeah. the one year that uh, we had the Oregon State football contract, right? You were in Texas calling play by play for Oregon State at Texas. I hosted the marathon show. I ran the marathon that year and hosted it. Oh my gosh! And then we had a, a celebration uh, in the evening that we did a, a live right. show. Joe that. was Joe was doing the news for the weekend. That was that was we worked hard. We did work hard, and and the thing was though that the, the things people don't know, there during that Portland Marathon special that I was involved with, one of the other were, years, yeah, yeah, one of the other years, they they were, you're out in the middle of the park block somewhere, and I remember people running by and and things, but literally I have no idea what is on the screen. No idea what's on the screen because I don't have a video monitor. There was only like one video monitor, and I was two blocks away from that video monitor at that moment for whatever reason. We had gone with a camera to do something, but they're saying I, I, the the director in my ear, and I, I think it was Shrum, and we yeah, were Shrum. live. Shrum, I think, said, "Talk about what you see, what, what what we're seeing, what we're seeing." And I literally said on the air, "I have no idea what we're seeing right now." <laughs> I'm away from a monitor. I mean, there's no way to communicate. You're just live. But the, all those things, we did the run between the states the first time they opened the bridge. Yeah, the 205 Jackson, Jackson Bridge, yeah. Jackson Bridge, right. Uh, we did the Cascade runoff. We did Cascade runoffs. We, we did so many things, Carl. And we, again, we worked hard. And, and those, those specials were money makers for the station. So despite the fact that... Um, they yeah. said the sports didn't matter. Eh, I did everything I could. I would go on junkets to, on the train with all the sponsors and, to Gladhand and, and tell the sponsors I appreciated their efforts and their, the, 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 you know supporting the station. And but you know none of that's enough if you've got a new news director coming in. <laughs> He's bringing his guy with him. Uh, well, just a couple other things we got to want to touch on here. Uh, you uh, you wrote a couple books. Uh, yeah. One about the basketball team in Illinois, the Thornbridge, right? Thor Thornridge. Yeah. Thornridge. Thornbridge. Yeah, they're the, they are still regarded by many, at least the old timers, as the best high school basketball team in Illinois history. Yeah. Quinn Buckner was the star of the team. He was he was the national prep athlete of the year. Uh, he was he, he was a two way star. He played football at Indiana as well as playing for Bobby Knight. He was the captain, one of the co-captains of the last undefeated uh, NCAA champion, 1976. Uh, he's getting a little airtime right now with Gonzaga and taking a shot at it. But I just remember uh, that, that book was more than about the basketball season. It was about yeah. the culture and right. African-American athletes in that, in, in that time. And yeah, yeah the, the, it's Thornridge, the perfect season in black and white. 
as the subtitle. And it's because it was early days of desegregation. I didn't know that Buckner's mom and dad marched for desegregation to open up the schools to the blacks and got busing going. There was a whole backstory there that I was not aware of when I started, but I went, it's an oral history. I went back, found all the players, yeah. uh, what were their memories. I recreated the season, uh, talked to people like Bobby Knight and John Wooden who recruited Buckner at that time. And, um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think who else. Oh, the, Anyway, there was just a, it was just a great joy, and it ended. I did a book tour. I went to Chicago and was on WGN as their author of the day, and yeah. WGN radio and, and their morning talk show for an hour. They couldn't believe the response. People called and went wild. Thornridge was the number one book on Amazon sports book on Amazon for two days after hey. I did a trip. So it was crazy. Uh, that was very successful. Uh, and it was, it was, it, I, I always had just said, I wonder what happened to those guys. Well, thanks to the internet, I was able to find them and, and who knew who. And I, I was able to, again, do an oral history. And, and I not only talked to them, I talked to all the coaches that coached against them. No team got closer than 14 points. Only three, I think, got within 20. And this was before the three point line. They averaged close to 90 points a game. There were there were three games in which the first three minutes of the game, the team did not get the ball across the half court strike because their full court <laughs> was so devastating. Carl, they were amazing. I saw them with my own eyes. It was my senior year. I was the captain of the team ranked second in the state. They were the team ranked first in the state. Unanimously, we got a lot of the second place votes. Uh, we up, got upset before we got a chance to play them. Um, but I, I saw Quinn Buckner many, many years later. I was terrified of this team. We, we, we'd have got killed. I was a little farm kid. I, he, and Buckner was, again, National Athlete of the Year, 6'2", 195 to 230 pounds, depending on what story you read about him. But I saw Buckner at a Blazer game and sat down in, in one of those pregame meals that we had before the Blazer games. He was working broadcasting for the Indiana Pacers, where he's a senior vice president. And I said, Quinn, Bonsick, Buckner, Buckner, Bonsick, uh, uh, Buckner, Dunn, Rose, and uh, Bass. And he goes, wow, that's a starting five uh, for his Thornridge team. He goes, you must be from Illinois. And I said, yeah, I was, <laughs> I'm the, I was the captain of the team from Lincoln that was ranked second behind you guys all year. We had kind of looked at you and scouted you, and I would have guarded you. You probably would have kicked my ass. You would have had 50. Yeah, and he says, no, man, it looks to me like you could have played. You know, I'm 6'6", six, six, and, you know, back then I'm weighing up a little bit. And he goes, it looks to me like you could have played back in the day. I said, yeah, I was 6'6 six, six back then, but I, I was probably only about 165 pounds. He goes, oh, I had kicked your ass. <laughs> so so that, that, got me, that got me really going, and I started wonder whatever happened to all of his teammates, and I ended up waking up in the middle of the night one night going, I've been waiting for somebody to write that book. I'm going to write it. Yeah. And it ended up being really successful. Thousands of copies sold. And it's just a little regional book about a high school team. It, the Illinois High School Association has it in their Hall of Fame or something. I mean, it, the governor of Illinois had it, uh, held it up at a book, at a groundbreaking in, in the hometown there. I mean, it's just, it was really a great success story for, for just something I pulled out of thin air, really. And then you followed that up with a book about sports heroes, sports heroes, which was your second yeah. book. And you yeah. were able to use a lot of the interviews you'd done on the radio. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, think yeah. about your career as TV guy, play uh, radio spot, uh, talk show host, play-by-play -play yeah. guy, author. Uh, you've done good. 
kind of done it. Yeah, Sports Idols, Idols, First Heroes of Our Heroes was the subtitle. So it, yeah, that one, I talked about 150 stars and Hall of Famers and uh, wrote about their their careers as well, but also just uh, who was important to them. And it was fascinating to hear who their first hero was. Yeah, I, I got that idea from the, the back of bubblegum cards. You, you look at it, who was your boyhood idol, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I did, but I talked to all, you know, Nancy Lopez and Annika Sorenstam and all, all the LPGA players, all the IndyCar drivers. I mean, it, 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 that was really fun. That was a fun project. And I waited until I had been let go or retired, as the case may be, uh, and I moved to Florida. That, that's what I did the first year I was here. I wrote that. I had all the interviews saved. I had re recorded everything. and uh, just Because you are a bit of a pack rat. <laughs> here's, here's the check Bill Lagatuda wrote me in uh, 1984. Yeah, yeah I, I've been in your I was in your house in Beaverton, and then I visited you in Tampa. There's usually a room in your house just yeah. for – just for Scott's collectibles and things like yeah. that. I know you've cleaned I, some of it actually, out. We downsized here. I had to take half of my collection up to a cousin's house in Illinois and <laughs> use one of her closets to store all my stuff. Bless her the, heart. The real reason I did that was we're so concerned about hurricanes here. We get yeah. every, every summer. I just don't want to lose all my memories in one spot, you know, and have it just blow away. And so I thought to save half of my my history. I want to, I want to have it somewhere else. And, and the best thing about all this, Scott, is that you are healthy because people yeah. that followed you at KEX, uh, yeah, you had some difficult health times, uh, yeah. but it's, it's so great to always talk to you to know that you've overcome that as well. Well, it was Christmas of 2008. I was, I felt like I had food poisoning and it, basically what it was, was I had a blockage cancer, stage three colon cancer. They saved my life with a, I think it was a 14 hour surgery or something like that. Um, one of those nights uh, shortly after Christmas and uh, resectioned me, took out a lot of my insides and uh, it, was a, it was a tough go back. Um, but yeah, it was, I, I had six months of chemo. I went back on the air uh, the first day of my chemo. I, I remember, yeah. He set me up with a home studio and I was able to just stay up, sleep until I had to get up. This is back when I was doing mornings, mm -hmm. morning sports. So I had to get up at four in the morning, set my alarm, chemo brain. I mean, it, it was it was not easy, but um, KEX hung with me there. And again, it's funny because the same messages that were coming loud and clear from Regan Ramsey back in my days at KEGW were coming very strong. They did not want to pay a sports guy as much at KEX as they were paying. And there was, it was almost a certainty that I was going to be let go. And I found out later I would have been let go, in fact, in January of 2009, except I was in St. Vincent Hospital with cancer surgery. Uh, they couldn't fire the cancer guy. So, so there's, there's an upside to cancer is what you're saying. I said it's not the best solution. <laughs> but uh, what did I get? I got four more years after that, five more years. I, I was let go finally or laid off actually in 2013. So, so yeah, I, get cancer, save your job. <laughs> Crazy. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that we have our chats on the phone every few months and that you're healthy. And I, you know, the, the great thing about this podcast is getting to, you know, have these conversations with folks and to be able to say things like, 
you know, Scott, you've been such a great friend over these years, but I owe, I mean, I don't just owe my career to you. I, I owe my life to you because I, uh, because you and Al uh, had the faith in me. Uh, I started there at KGW and then that started 31 years of doing right. what I wanted to do, where I wanted to do it and where I wanted to raise my family. I, I yeah. can't imagine what my life would be like differently. I mean, it, who knows? It could have been, uh, but because of you, I've had the life and career that I've had. Like, I mean, I can't thank oh, you thanks. enough for that, buddy. Buddy, you, you don't have to thank me. You deserved it. You were qualified. You did the job and you did it great. I, I do want to say real quick, Carl, all the people I work with, especially back at, I still think most fondly about my days at KGW. Yeah. You know, from sitting next to, when I was the weekend sports anchor, when I first got there, my desk was right next to Ann Curry, who, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and Lou Frederick, who you've interviewed. Um, a quick story about Ann, if I can. Um, she, she was the weekend anchor, news anchor, and I was sitting next to her one day, and the last story, the kicker, was a story about the uh, Northwest Sportsman Show, and KGW sponsored the fishing pond for the little kids. So we did a story, and Anne's voicing over this story, and she, she shows the, the fishing story, and she says, this fishing pond sponsored by a local television station. Now, go to where everything is sponsored now. But yeah. back then, she felt it wasn't right, it wasn't ethical to say sponsored by Channel 8. She said sponsored by a local TV station. She was called in to the news director's office the next day. And, and he yelled at her like crazy. And she said, no, it's not right. I'm never going to do that. So I, when I saw her make it to the NBC, I thought, yeah, you know what? She... She had, was strong with her principles right yes. from the start. Yes, she was. She really was. People, I mean, again, the editors, I, I think of Al Herberholz and Nick Wycliffe and uh, Eric. Eric um, Willie Toon. Willie, Willie Toon and Master Control. Uh, just everybody. Dee Dixon. Uh, yeah. You know, Katie, Katie Bronson now. Uh, Katie Milner back at the time. Mil Milnes, right? At yep. the time. And, Good memory. Uh, and married Danny Bronson, who was one of the photographers. I mean, it, all those people mean so much to me. They were yeah. all friends. I still dream about you all. I mean, it's so crazy. Think about Corey Long. Oh, Corey was our shooter. We yeah. you talked about that with Steve Arena. He was our sports shooter. Now, everybody liked to shoot it. Danny Bronson shot for us sometimes as well, did a fine job. But Corey's, Corey was like, he wanted to be the sports guy. Yeah. He wanted to be that. And, and he was terrific at it. And so... Everybody contributed to our success, as you have said many times already. And I just, you know, I'm so thankful, so thankful to have had that time. The, the good old days for me was from 1980 to 89 when I was at KGW. I got to do more things and did a lot of other stuff. And I love doing the play-by-play, -play, but the times I still remember and dream about and wake up, I do, I have nightmares about not having my time. <laughs> the editing isn't complete. Oh my God, they just introduced me and I'm not on the set. All of those things I still dream about. And that's crazy because I was, I was, I mean, TV was 13 and a half years of my career. The other 34 years or whatever was radio and play-by-play -play stuff. So but it but had its that, impact. Yeah, it had its impact and it's and it's nothing but good feelings as far as the people I work with. Um, just, uh, you know, I wish we had stayed in touch with everybody, but I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing because it's so great to see everybody. All right, Scott. Uh, thanks, buddy. Thanks for the time. 
Um, thanks for remembering the good old days. Uh, my pleasure, Carl. Thanks a lot.